Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And indeed, it's not just about being green. It's all about being environmentally conscious. But I suppose that is green as well. So it's about gardening. It's about the environment. It's about how you can lessen your impact on the earth. Notice I use the word impact correctly. I hate it when people use it as a verb. It's not a verb, people. <laughs> right, I am Melanie Walker. This is Grounded. And uh, today we're going to be talking about water, which is something I think we're all very aware of, especially here in South Africa, being such a water-stressed country and with the, all the droughts that we had. And the fact that most people kind of ignore the fact that we are still under level one water restrictions in Johannesburg, which means now that we're going into the winter months, it's relaxed slightly. It's not just six to six that you're not allowed to water. You only you can't water between eight o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the afternoon, which is a bit better. So keep it to the mornings, get out, get up close and personal with your garden first thing in the morning while the plants are waking up and it might just uh, give you a good start to the day. But while we're on the idea of water, you know, the amount of people who sat there and said, well, I have a borehole so I can use water as much as I want. No, that is a very short-sighted way of looking at things, especially if they were down in the Cape, because what happens is you're sucking all the groundwater out. And when that's gone, it's gone. And down in the Cape, it's an even worse situation because when you've sucked out all the fresh water, that's leaving a bit of a void, which means that the saline water from the sea would be suddenly sweeping in and that will never get cleaned out again. So please be careful when you use water. Now, of course, one of the things that people say, oh, well, you've got a swimming pool. Look at you. You're wasting so much water. What's been useful for a lot of people where they ran out of water in Johannesburg on the west, uh, the east rand, where they could jump in their pool at least. <laughs> and the people were coming and actually getting water from them when they had nothing to even flush their toilets with. So we look at the pool and people are saying, okay, fine, how can I make my pool, which I don't want to get rid of because it surprisingly does add value to your house and create something which is ecologically friendly, which is visually impressive and useful and you can still swim in it. Well, over the years, I've come across a few of these wetland pools. I'm sure that uh, have, if, have been following Grounded for a while or Gardening 101 on the Home Channel, that you would have seen a couple of wetland pools, starting off with one we did with uh, Delicious Jane, Jane Griffiths from Jane's Delicious Garden. And the first time I saw this, I thought, oh my goodness, this is absolutely amazing, because I remembered what her pool looked like before. Big rectangle, bright blue, was just sterile. And she put it under cover, took it off, and all of a sudden the walls were black, but the water was clear, at which stage she decided to get in an expert who's the person we've got in today. Mm. Anthony Fulbrick of Wetland Pools, thanks for coming and joining us once again. Thank you. Okay, so that was like a long preamble. Yes. That's fine. Wetland Pools, how long have you been actually transforming pools into something which is environmentally friendly? Melanie, I've been busy doing this for, it's about 13 years now. Mm -hmm. First pool I did for myself many, many years ago. Always experiment on yourself is the rule. So I did. Mm -hmm. And I did the first one and the first was very successful. And a friend came along and said, hey, I want one of those. And then I did another and another. And I realized very quickly this was a potential business. And there was a need. I mean, for me, it's more not about making the money. It's about how many of these pools can I get out there? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're now at the point we've done about 250 pools. But I mean, your background is not in pools. You're mm -hmm. an architect. Yeah, I'm an architect by training. I had a practice for many years. My sense of the world is you live once. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I used to arrive on empty building sites full of natural, natural plants and say, right, bring in the bulldozer. 
is let's clear this out the way so that we can build something. And after doing that for about 10 or 12 years, I was like, I've got to go the other way. I've got to start giving a little bit back now. And so that's in a way what I, what, one of the reasons I was quite excited about moving into, into wetland pools and into doing natural stuff. But do you also like work as a consultant sometimes for companies and how to actually get them to reduce their carbon footprint? I'm not involved in that. You're not no. doing that anymore because no. I know at one stage you were going in and talking to people about how to actually get plants back instead of taking them away when you're building something. Um, yes and no, not, not much. I mean, that's just peripheral stuff. It's just broad thinking. Mm. I've been focusing on one thing and I am a designer, but I, I market myself as a designer of pools, but nothing more. So landscapers do landscaping mm. and I become a technician often to landscapers. So it's their vision that gets realized and I help them to realize their vision. I'm not trying to compete with landscapers. Uh, I'm really just saying if there's a pool you want to do, I'll sort you out with the pool. Okay. Uh, I've had so many people coming and asking and saying, all right, we want to do something with our pool mm-hmm. and talking about how to recycle water as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. And people look at this and they think, no, how can this water be clean if we're not using chemicals? Mm. I mean, a pool is a very sterile space, whether you've mm. got a saline pool or if you're using one where you're using chlorine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just water, which is dead water, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're fundamentally fighting against nature. So, you know, why is it that a mountain stream, you can trust that water to drink and yet there's no chemicals in that as well? Mm. And that's because you know that nature is processed to that water, that that water is, is coming clean and clear from a mountain from the rain. And then the, the process of the water flowing down a river usually keeps it fairly good until a human comes along and starts chucking stuff in it. So the principle there is that we're really working with nature as, a, yeah. as opposed to against nature. So a chlorine pool or a saltwater pool, the saltwater pool is actually a, all you've got a chlorine factory. Mm. So you're still producing chlorine. So it's, it's fundamentally a sterile environment, which is what you don't want. So it's about killing things. So a natural pool is just taking it the other way around. It's saying, all right, we're not going to kill everything. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to work with nature. Yes. Nature offers us processes and we use those processes. So we, we take a little bit from koi ponds. We take a little bit from, from water processing plants. We take a little bit from all over the place and we put them all together and we create a huge filtration system, which then filters your water. And the water in your swimming pool with a natural pool is being circulated through a huge organic filter six times a day. Mm. You know, that water then is crystal clear and beautifully clean. That If nobody's just swum in the pool, it's usually a drinking water quality. And we've tested various of our pools. It's, it's better drinking water quality than you're getting out of the, out of the taps. And that's because it's, it's going through this huge natural filter. Yes. So we, we're building a huge natural filter, having this tank of water that's then going through this natural filter and then saying, right, swim in that. <laughs> it's, I think it would probably be much more, more fun on, this, on the skin as well. Because, it is. Oh, I, I just hate that tightness that you feel when you yeah. get out of a pool that's been chlorinated. But, I mean, are you finding that more and more people are keen to actually put in a pool like this from the beginning? Or is it mm. mainly people who have got pools that they've inherited or put in and now they want to change their way of looking at it? It's kind of 50-50. We're doing an awful lot of new pools right now. And when I first started doing this, I would go to people and say, there is this idea that you could do this. You know, nobody had heard of a natural pool. Mm. But we're now sufficiently down the line that there are loads of natural pools out there and everybody knows about them. They've been in the media. You've covered them. Magazines have covered them. And a lot of people have seen and swum in them. So everybody knows about them now. So the people who've got pools, a lot of them are converting. So we're still probably 50% of our work is currently converting pools. 
Oddly enough, that's more in Johannesburg than in Cape Town, because mm. we're based in both. Whereas in Cape Town, there's an awful lot of development going on, and we're building an awful lot of new pools in Cape Town particularly. I know I had great ideas for the moat <laughs> at the Cape Town Castle, thinking we should turn this into a swim pond. That'd be great. It would be a wonderful thing to do. And mm. I think that, you know, this is the way to go for the future, definitely. I mean, mm. I don't have a pool because I don't have space for a pool. But what kind of space, I mean, what is the smallest pool that you could actually put mm. in? Well, the, I mean, we've done a lot of very small pools. The smallest one I did was about a meter by a meter. It was a seat that you sat in. Yes. And it had a wetland that next to it. That is tiny. I'm just trying minute. to imagine. I mean, it's like... It's, What's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, well, it was a, it, it's a little, it's a refreshing dip on the veranda. Okay. I've done a few, I did one in Melville, which was about two by two. And so it was a little seat and you sat in the seat and you drank your wine and you had the little wetland in front of you and the water flowed down a stream next to you. And so it can be very small. Yes. Um, so we've gone from very small and we've done absolutely huge as well. What, what do you mean by absolutely huge? Uh, well, we're doing one in Pal right now where the wetland is 250 square meters. The pool is 25 by six meters by Two and a half meters deep. Mm. So I mean, that's absolutely huge. We've that done is big. we've done pools in. We did a pool in Landudno, which was four and a half meters deep, which they go scuba diving in. Ooh, um, it sounds like going up to what's the, what's the place there in um, the northwest province where? Oh my goodness, Charles Herman Bosman wrote about the area, Marika. Okay, yes, yes, to, to, to the, 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 the work. Yeah, to the work. Yes, yeah, I no, that work, is yeah. just absolutely wonderful to yeah. go diving then, floating underneath the, the lily pads. And it's only three meters deep. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can scuba dive in that. I'm just suddenly having like a whole thing. I need to buy a new house and put one mm. of these in so I can go diving. Very that would be great fun. <laughs> but when it comes to, to swimming pools and people at home, I mean, what is the first thing you decide? Right. I don't want this in my, my garden anymore. You're obviously going to have to have a wetland. Yes. Because that's how the whole yes, thing actually yes. works. So oh. explain, go through the process okay. of, of so, changing a pool over. So most people, most people, when they look at their pool, they go, I hate this thing. I want to get rid of it after a while. You know, the kids have grown up or mm. nobody's swimming anymore. And 99% of the time, it's just dead weight of space that you throw energy into. So in order to convert it or in order to build a pool from new, you have to consider the swimming area, which is where you're going to swim. And then you have a wetland. And the wetland has to be give or take the same area as the pool. Mm. There are ways of making it slightly smaller, but then what you've got to do is you've got to increase the mechanization in the process. It gets busier and busier and more and more complicated. It's actually at its best, at its simplest. Mm. Same area as the pool, same area as the wetland. And that wetland can be inside the pool. So a lot of people have got very big pools and they say, all right, I, you know, I want to convert my pool, but it's huge. I, you know, let's make, so, so then we take half the pool away mm. and we make half of it the wetland and half of it's the pool. Or, build the wetland separately. And we've built wetlands. It doesn't have to be right next to the pool. It can be adjacent. You know, a lot of the, the international stuff particularly is, is is about sort of ponds and water flowing between mm. the two. I'm a big fan of actually physically separating them. Because if you can physically separate them, then what happens is that the pool remains very clean. Um, when kids dive in, you don't have bits of water lilies floating back across the pool at you. Um, and then also you have a, the surface of the pool can be skimmed constantly. It can be, you know, we, we really look at the technology of getting it skimmed beautifully. So if a leaf lands, it's off. Whereas in a normal swimming pool, it lands and it, you know, you wait until it sinks to the bottom of the pool and then you suck it out with a, with a creepy crawly. And mm. by then it's sort of half decomposed and the bacteria have been attacking it and the chlorine has been going. You don't want that. You want it just to be away. So the principle is you, you've got to find a part of your garden, uh, where you can have a wetland. Mm. Ideally, it should be slightly lower than the pool or at the same level as the pool. So we overflow the water from the pool down to the wetland. We push it through the filter and then pump it back up to the pool. But we can do it the other way around. We've got some pools where we've got the, 
at Herbert Baker's house in in Parktown. Yeah, the pool is 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 in one side. It's a it's a national monument garden, and, and there was an existing pond that we converted into a pool, and then we converted his vegetable garden, which was about fifty sixty meters away, into the wetland, and the water circulates between the two, so they don't have to be right next to each other. Um, we've got other pools where we've got the wetland up on the roof of a building in a townhouse complex, and it's a sort of deep. So it filters down again. So then it gravity feeds back down from. So you pump up to the wetland, and it gravity feeds back down again. So there's absolutely no excuse. No, you can have it anyway. Yeah, I love. I mean, I love swimming in these pools because they are so clean and so fresh, and I just feel like I'm in the middle of a forest and instead mm. of like being in something which is just giving you earache. You find. I mean, this is one of the things that's very difficult to explain to people unless you go and find one of these pools and, and hang out with it mm. or have one yourself. So, a normal pool. You know, as human beings, we like the ideal human position is on the edge of the forest with a savanna in the distance and a stream flowing past. You mm. know, that's that's Desmond Morris's typical where humans come from, what we aspire towards, and. Your conventional swimming pool doesn't give you that because you stand next to it and you start smelling chlorine and it, it, it's this blue, you know, it's, it's the kitchen sink with jig thrown into it. It's, mm. it's, it's not part of the garden. Whereas suddenly a natural pool is something else. And, you know, people talk about, what are they called? Uh, the, the positive ions from waterfalls, all of that. You get all of that stuff. So mm. you hang up with a the pool. There's a slight sort of sound of water in the background. There's this beautiful clean water. If you stand still for long enough, you'll find the odd dragonfly buzzing past you. You'll find the odd damselfly. The odd bird will come in for a little drink of water. And you could always put some fish in there as well, which is great for the, the plants because well, then the nitrites and everything will be sucked up by the plants. Yes and no. So we've changed our position on fish. Oh, okay. Uh, so we can't go swimming with the fishes. This is no more well, the you can, mafia. You can, <laughs> but you have to accept that if you do swim with fish, you will have more algae in your pool. The theory would say that if you, you know, your, your plants are growing and they're absorbing nutrients, you cut out the plants, you remove the nutrient. Mm. Similarly, the fish are eating nutrient eating up nutrient, you get bigger fish, the birds steal the fish, and you've got less nutrient in your pool. So in theory, there should be it should be getting the pool cleaner and cleaner. But it never quite worked like that. And it took us ages, and eventually we figured it out through through fish tank people, uh, through fish tank technology, that actually what it is is that waterborne algae will only, uh, not waterborne, string algae, mm. which is the long, green, snotty-like stuff, that will only start to grow in the presence of ammonia. So if and you the can, ammonia come from the fish. Correct. So even though the fish are removing nutrient from the pool, they are producing ammonia. They're spiking the ammonia in the water constantly. So if you can keep the ammonia levels down, you don't get much algae. Now, we talk about wetlands as the, the rebirthing of nature, essentially. And I mean, the amount of wetlands that have been destroyed through commercialization, through agriculture, around our country specifically, I know that here – People are getting, I mean, it's becoming one of the more endangered areas. I mean, we talk about grasslands, fainboss, et cetera, et cetera, but nobody really cares about the wetlands. And wetlands are like got amazing biodiversity. So I can imagine that bringing that biodiversity and that life back into your garden where you, you normally wouldn't have any of that is a far better idea. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it, you're, 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 all of the animals and plant, well, animals particularly that are, are, are hanging around in the suburbs of, mm. of the cities, they do need water. And and particularly in the middle of winter, where is the water supply that they're going to get? You know, the odd sort of slightly skanky bird bath doesn't really do it. So if you have a natural pool, you'll find that you'll have queues of birds, and I mean queues of mm. birds in the middle of winter coming up for water. At my house, I used to, in the early mornings particularly, count see if I could count the birds before they suddenly flew off. And it would be about 30 to 35 birds would be queued up waiting to get water. And we know how, you know, birds, what they want ideally is is a rock mm. with a little bit of a water supply on it and a little bit of a dish on it. And it's got to be flowing water. They ideally want flowing water. And they want it in, in a position so that it's isolated from 
everyone else. So they can sit on the rock and look around and feel safe. Mm. That's very important to them. If you do that, you have queues of birds coming. And there's also so many people saying, oh, I really want to have frogs in my garden. And of course, you have to have specific conditions for mm. the frogs as well. Mm. And bees. I mean, we sit mm. there and we sit and look at bees are not particularly, I don't know how they fly. I mean, they're so not aerodynamic, and especially <laughs> when they're coming in to drink water. Mm. I mean, if they land in your pool, I mean, that's it. They can't take mm. off again. Mm. So these things have all got to be taken into account yeah. when you're actually you know, changing your horrible swimming pool into something beautiful. Yeah. One of the things that we include in all of our pools, or nearly all of our pools, is water lilies. They're sort of neutral, and they, they, they're kind of neutral from a filtration point of view, mm. but they do offer a, a zone for zooplankton. So from a biological point of view, from a filtration point of view, they benefit the pool. But what they also are is water lilies are a fantastic landing pad for, for bees. So if you have bees in your areas, you'll find them and they'll, they'll learn that they land on the, the water lilies and they take water from, from around the water lilies. And if you have a pool, that's the sort of water that they want as well. Okay. So we've got that. I mean, the, the, the whole thing of, of making water clean without using any kind of chemicals. Now, mm. obviously, there's a lot of people who are sitting out there and thinking, this is fine. We've all got our water tanks now. We need mm. rainwater tanks. Some people have gone as far as to put in grey water tanks. I mean, mm. do you have anything to do with grey water at all? I can do grey water systems. I don't do that many because there's just so much business in natural pools. Mm. So it would be a whole other field. But I've done five or six of them and I've read up extensively on them. So I, I can talk about them and, and I can advise on them. But I don't rush out and do them because it's kind of stinky, ganky water. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not where I want to, be... to pee particularly. <laughs> you don't want to be throwing that water into your swimming pool. No, under no circumstances, please. Yeah. But, but there are ways of means of doing it. Yes. But I have a lot of people saying, oh, I'm putting in tanks. I'm moving down to Cape Town. I'm worried mm. about the drought happening mm. there. And um, the guy's actually gone and put a pipe which goes from my kitchen sink mm. into the water holding tank and I'm like no mm. that is one place you certainly yeah. don't want to be taking water yeah. from so I mean what just to, to, as an aside on mm. grey water mm -hmm. what would go into your grey water system so toilet water is black water mm -hmm. with, with straight sewage in it and then all of the other water generally is grey water there's some debate around kitchen water is kitchen water black water or grey water uh, and I think it depends particularly I think it's a bit murky it is a bit murky yes <laughs> it, it, it's very grey but it's also about if your household is a meat um, eating household Mm. Uh, the chances are your kitchen water should be black. Yes. But if it's not, you're okay to put it grey, but you have to accept that there's a fair amount of debris in it. But then if you just put a little trap in your sink, mm. then you're not throwing all the remains of the cauliflower in, into the water. You can, you can take it out and put it in the compost. Yeah, because, I mean, then you have to treat it in a specific way to make sure that, I mean, I'm also thinking, what about people who use antibacterial soaps? I mean, does that make a big difference when it comes to grey water? No, it doesn't. They tend to they tend to break down. They tend to biodegrade. If you if you speak to the soap people, and I've gone and spoken to a lot of the soap manufacturers, almost all the, the soap products biodegrade. Once they get diluted and once they're in the environment, they'll, mm. they'll biodegrade. So you don't really have to worry about them. You know, it's when they're fresh and new. It's a bit like chlorine. You know, you can pour chlorine in your pool. Mm. But when you pour the chlorine water, you can often pour it onto the grass and it doesn't kill the grass. Uh, and that's because the chlorine has already reacted. Yes. Uh, and, and what it'll do is it'll kill the first few things it finds. And then after that, there's no chlorine left to kill anything. So it's not like it's an enzyme that lasts forever. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a reactive agent that, that once it's reacted has changed into something else that's non-reactive. Oh, a lot of people will sit there and say, okay, well, what about reed beds? Mm -hmm. Okay, now I've, I've learned about that through permaculture courses mm -hmm. where you can take your grey water mm -hmm. and you it goes down a hill through various reed beds yep. which would then absorb all yep. of the bad stuff. Yep. And you should ostensibly end up with nice clean water at the end mm -hmm. of it. 
Absolutely. I mean, is that ba basically the same way as as a wetland would work yes. as well? Yeah. So, so our systems are pretty much the same systems. The differences are that we're working with clean water, which is then getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. Whereas with a grey water system, you're working with fundamentally very manky water. And in order to get it completely clean, you have to do huge amounts of steps. Melbourne, the city of Melbourne, its sewage works, one of its sewage works is primarily a reed bed system, mm. an extensive reed bed system. And, and they've worked out, and it was Bill Mollison, the permaculture guru who did it, who worked out all of the items that needed to be removed from the water, what plants, what processes, and, you know, so there's bubblers and there's stirrers and mixers and all sorts of things, but it's fundamentally a natural process as opposed to a chemical process. So you can do it. Yeah. You can achieve, and, and this is what happens in nature. You know, the buck poos in the river upstream and downstream, it's no longer a problem. And the reason being that the, there's a, effectively a reed bed biological filtration system going all the way down. Should I give you some basic rules with grey water? Yes, please. Okay. Rule number one, if you can, don't store it. Okay. Okay. Rule number two. See rule number one. Okay, it's very important. Okay. <laughs> so it's like the fight club. Okay. Yes, it's the rules of fight club. Uh, and and the reason for that is that the water is full of of, of biological. Yeah. Um, it's full of human skin and hair and food and this and that and the other. And of course, nature takes its course and starts attacking it immediately. But now you've got two conditions. You've got aerobic conditions and mm -hmm. anaerobic conditions. Now, aerobic conditions is in the presence of oxygen, natural swimming pools, presence of oxygen, wonderfully aerobic conditions. Anaerobic conditions are without the presence of oxygen. And that's basically what people refer to as stinky water. Yes. Okay. So if you've got aerobic conditions um, taking place, you get uh, anaerobic bacteria. So our gut bacteria, for example, are, are the spectacular ones that then love and live in those environments. So you've got fundamentally very unhealthy water and bacteria going on in those environments. So it sounds absolutely yes. So it's not good. But if you absolutely have to, if you rule one and rule two, you can't do it and you have to store the water for mm. whatever reason you're doing it, then you can put it through a reed bed. And the, the secret then is to keep it moving, number one. Sorry, the first thing is you've got to filter it up front mm. because you've got to get as much debris out as possible. Otherwise, you can't move this. You can't push it through a reed bed because it just gets jammed and blocked. So you've got to filter it immediately. And the best way to filter it is with an air gap filter. So that's a filter where the water drops through a space mm -hmm. and then lands on a surface and the water is absorbed through that surface, which means that you can then you end up with a little pile of debris which you can remove. Yes. If you try and have a screen or a whatever or a sponge or something, you're trying, you can like never wash it. Up, yeah. You've just got to throw them away all the yeah. time and, and they get really stinky and manky. So, so that's the, the first thing. So if you're going to do it, first thing is filter it, sieve it effectively. Yeah. Then put it through a filter, uh, a reed bed filter. Basically, you need something with huge amounts of surface area. It doesn't matter what it is. It's gravel. We use a lot of gravel. Plant roots as they grow have a huge surface area, which is why wetlands are so successful. Um, if it's a very slow-moving system, like a natural wetland system, then the water's moving through soil incredibly slowly. Mm. But you can use, I mean, people use bits of plastic. Koi ponds have little bio balls that they use all the time. It doesn't matter what you use, whatever you use, it's got to go through that and it's got to continuously go through that. So you've got to effectively mock up a stream. The water's got to go through it and then come back and go through it again, come back, go through it again, mm. come back. And it's also got to be aerated somehow. So you've got to have it splashing. You've got to have, you could have a venturi which sucks in air and mixes it with the water, or you can just throw it over something so it splashes. That's the second thing. And then if you're going to store it for a long time or if you want it to not be really a biohazard and not be dangerous, then you put it through a UV sterilizer. And that's basically, it's a, it's a, it's a pipe with an ultraviolet light in it. And the ultraviolet light kills the bacteria. Yeah. And, and that's how with a natural pool as well, you, you have a degree of solarization, they call it. So where you've got water flowing over a shallow surface where the sun's hitting it, the sun is killing bacteria and that sort of thing. Yes. Mm. So it's like, I mean, if you want to have an indoor um, saline fish tank, for instance, yes. you'd have to have a UV filter, Absolutely. I mean, a UV thing yeah. just to actually kill all the stuff that could grow in it. Yeah. Well, with fish tanks particularly, you kill it because if there's any bacteria that starts to live on the fish, mm. it'll become waterborne mm. as it spreads to the next 
to the next fish. And you don't want it to reinfect your fish because you're not circulating the water. You, you know, you're circulating the water. It's living in the same bit of water. So you kill everything that comes out. So you put, you've got various ways of sterilizing the water in, in fish tanks. Yeah. But now how much electricity would a wetland pool take up? Because I'm thinking you, you've got to run the pumps all day. 24-7, yeah. So it's not like a normal pool where you have the pump that just, mm. I don't know how, I haven't got a pool, so I don't know how long yeah. it goes for. Well, most people are sort of four, six, eight hours a day, depending on if it's the middle of summer or winter. And yeah. then a lot of people have got solar links, solar units linked to that. So they're running it according to the amount of the so temperature they want. You couldn't <clears> then really <throat> run a, a wetland pool on a solar system? No, you can't. I mean, you can. It's just you have to spend a lot of money because you have to have a battery and a converter, inverter, sorry. You have to have a battery backup as well. So currently the technology is not there yet. Mm. Okay, how much electricity? That was your question. So the key thing here is that a a swimming pool usually has a sand filter, almost invariably has a sand filter. Uh, And the sand filter is like a wetland, only it's very small, with lots of fine grains of sand inside Mm. it. And in order to get the water through that, you have to push it at an incredible pressure to get it through it. And so you spend huge amounts of money having a pump that presses water at an incredible pressure. And that's where most of your electricity is going. Mm. Whereas with a natural pool, you've just got to move the water from one place to another. And we have the, the filter is primarily a 13 mil gravel, brownstone mm. usually, greystone, doesn't matter which one. Uh, and so, you know, if you imagine a bucket full of gravel and you pour the water in the top, it'll run out the bottom. Yes. It just runs straight through it. So there's no pushing of the water through it. Um, so as a result, you don't have to use high pressure pumps. You use low pressure pumps. We use what they call high flow pumps. Mm. Uh, and the great thing about high flow pumps is that they're much more efficient from an electricity point of view. So a conventional pool pump, sort of a 750 watt pump that most people have in their garden that's running their pool that'll that'll push about 20,000 liters of water an hour we have pumps that are high flow pumps that will also do 20,000 liters of water an hour but instead of at 750 watts it'll be 150 watts mm. so it's it, you know there's a huge saving in electricity but it's not as much as you think because of course it runs 24 7 yes but you are still using less electricity absolutely yeah. you could have i suppose you could have a swap over using solar during the day and then swap over to something else during the night you could but if you're going to want to spend money using solar to, to help your house. The mm. way to do it is to put in a solar PV system and back up part of your house and then run the pump out of that rather than doing something special for your pool. Or, or, or the most efficient thing is to heat water. So, okay. so you know, save a yes. fortune of electricity heating water and then use a little bit of the excess electricity that you save to run the, run the wetland pool. Absolutely. Mm. Fantastic idea. Now, if people want to get hold of you because they want to do, do the conversion, mm-hmm. how did they do that? Well, they feel free to email me. That's, that's probably the easiest. My email address is anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, at wetlandpools, one word with an S at the end, .co.za. And they're welcome to go and have a look at my website, which is www.wetlandpools.co.za. And the pictures there are fantastic. And if you don't get inspired by that, then nothing will ever inspire you. You're one of those people that shouldn't be allowed out in public. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for coming in and Pleasure. chatting. And yeah, I mean, uh, one day if I ever get a big property, then I will definitely seriously think about putting in a pool. And we'll see you then. <laughs> My children will have left home by then and then they'll be very cross that I didn't do it earlier. But thank you so much. Oh yeah, well that's it for this week. Uh, as, as Anthony said, if you have any questions or you want to know more about it and how much it costs, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, mm-hmm. to do this, then get along to Wetland Pools. I'll be back again soon with more wonderful stuff from the world of green. So get out into the garden, be inspired and be grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded. 